0: It's my great pleasure to have on the line with me, uh, in Australia at the moment, uh, prominent Iraq War veteran and activist Vincent Emmanuel, and uh, I understand now blogger and journalist. Uh, thanks for joining us, Vincent. Oh, thanks for having me. So you're in Australia for the launch of the documentary *We Are Many*, which, uh, from all accounts, is a fabulous look at the you know the Iraq War protests. Um, of course, uh, millions of people around the world. Uh, processing at that time before the Iraq war started now obviously a starting point has to be in, in my conversation with you uh, obviously very closely connected uh, the events over the weekend in Paris we have uh, already today uh, some some strikes uh, from France into into Syria um, and drums of war beating loudly around the world I guess what are your reflections on uh, on uh, I guess your own journey uh in the military and in and the echoes that you see with the the build-ups of the Iraq war
1: well 911 changed things in the United States um you know I mean I was a senior in high school when 911 took place so I was in 12th grade and you know I looking back when it's happening you don't I, I think is at that age at least me and the sort of political consciousness I had at that time I really had a hard time envisioning or imagining what the world was going to look like as a result, and not because of the action itself, but as others have mentioned in the past, how the United States reacted to it. So yes, the date 9-11 itself, the terrorist bombings, of course, they were horrific. However, how the United States reacted to that, and this context of the global war on terror has really haunted us ever since then, of course. Instead of dealing with the attacks, uh, as, again, others have mentioned, which would have been, you know, maybe as, as a criminal act with an international agency that would, you know, do a proper investigation and bring suspects to trial and have real trials, uh, you know, instead what the United States did was further militarize, use 9-11 as an excuse to crack down on civil liberties at home use 9-11 as an excuse to invade and occupy Afghanistan and Iraq and everything that has happened since then. Um, So what do we have now? You know, after destroying the state apparatus in Iraq, the entire Middle East has been in chaos. The start of Syria is really the war in Iraq. You've got millions of refugees pouring over a very porous border uh, into Syria, millions of Iraqi refugees who were seeking shelter there, You have a Shia government that we put in charge, sacked all of the Sunnis out of any meaningful position in society. So what did you have in western Iraq, Al-Anbar province, where I spent my time during my second deployment to Iraq? You had hundreds of thousands of middle-aged men, who uh, young to middle-aged men, who didn't have jobs, who were alienated and segregated from the government and from civil society. And as a result, of course, as we know now, uh, we have ISIS, which was born as, a, as uh, a result, a direct consequence of the invasion in Iraq, destroying the actual government of Iraq and the civil society and its economy. And we've been dealing with this ever since. Um, and so now in 2011, when you had um, protests against Bashar al-Assad, you, a lot of people in the West uh, saw an opportunity to dictate the situation uh, the Gulf monarchies the Qataris uh, the Saudis they saw an opportunity um, and the rich and elite within those uh, countries saw an opportunity to take advantage of the situation in Syria Subsequently turning into a civil war and then what many refer to now as a new proxy war, where you have over 10 nations bombing the country of Syria. And the latest bombings, as you mentioned, come from France. And throughout this time, of course, there has the the spectrum of debate debate has been very small. Um, You know, so we never had an opportunity in the United States or even in the West to a large degree to really reflect on why it was that people would want to blow up the World Trade Center back in 2001. Mm-hmm. And we're not having an honest conversation now about why people, particularly young Muslim men, would have a beef with the government of France and with the people of France. Now that's not to justify the actions in Paris. That's not to justify the actions on 9-11 well. that we need in the West to have an honest conversation about where this blowback, which is a term the CIA uses for unintended consequences of U.S. imperial adventures, what is it that's causing this blowback and what would be the responsible response to the blowback? Is it to further militarize and further drop bombs and further destabilize an already destabilized region? Um, You know, I think it's hard for people in the West to also understand that since 9-11, We're not just talking about the government of Iraq being in chaos and the society of Iraq destroyed. We're talking about Afghanistan being destroyed. What was always considered sort of the good war or the justified war in the West has been an absolute disaster for the Afghans. Libya is a failed state after NATO's intervention into what was already a brutal civil war and a brutal set of uprisings. So because of NATO's bombings, because of the West's incompetence, Now we have a failed state in Iraq, a failed state in Libya, a failed state in Afghanistan, and now a failed state in Syria, not to mention a failed state in Yemen, a country that's borne the brunt of not only sectarian violence, but also Obama's drone program. And so this is the result. I mean, to to put it very bluntly, I, I don't know what people in the West should expect. Um, was I the least bit surprised when this took place in Paris? No, I wasn't the least bit surprised. Was I concerned? Of course. I have Parisian friends, I have Muslim friends, and I have Parisian Muslim friends. Um, so I, you know, there's plenty of reason to be freaked out and shocked and etc. But you know, as many people have pointed out over the last few days, some lives are worth more than others. Yeah. You know, when three thousand Americans die, it's a huge deal. When a couple hundred Brits die or a couple dozen Brits die. Uh, as a result of the uh, uh, the tunnel bombings in London, yep. it's a big deal. Uh, same thing when Parisians died. But it's not the same when two days before Paris there was a major explosion and bombing in Beirut, the largest they've seen in decades. Uh, that wasn't reported on at length in the West. Yep. And when over 230 Russians were killed on a Russian airliner, people didn't care. Yep. Uh, in the West it wasn't talked about with the same vigor – and with the same sense of emotion as the over 150 or whatever it is now, 160 people who have been murdered because of the attacks in Paris. So I think there's a few things we need to, you know, these events point out a lot about our society. Number one, whose lives matter and whose don't. And number two, um, perpetuating the same cycle of violence that led to 9-11 and that led to the last 14 years of destruction and death and chaos in the Middle East and North Africa. Uh, we haven't had an honest reflection or an honest debate and discussion about why that takes place and what a proper response would be. Instead, uh, the West has further militarized, further dropped bombs, uh, further sought to destabilize regimes, uh, and continues to meddle in every and any conflict that takes place uh, throughout the world, but particularly as we're talking about in the Middle East and North Africa.
0: Yeah. Vince, you you mentioned there you're not surprised uh, at the events in, in Paris on the weekend um are you surprised uh, it doesn't sound like you you will be surprised at uh you know at the response from the French government and i guess the the the, the beating of uh, drums for uh, you know across you know across various governments um you know obama being criticized for being too soft um you know, how's, how's this all going to play out? I mean, and I guess maybe connect this, uh, of course, to, you know, the fact that we had uh, all those millions of people protesting immediately before the Iraq war. And, you know, I, I guess, um, you know, what's your comment about uh, uh, what we can do about it? I mean, getting that many people on the on the streets again, um, it's... How much uh, effect did that have have last time? Uh, You know, what what do people of of conscience do in this moment?
1: Well, to answer your first question, no, I wasn't surprised at the reaction to it. And, you know, what's interesting here and what is quite scary and what we should all keep in mind is that Obama for... His many faults and, and crazy policies. And I've criticized him as much, I would like to think, as anyone else. I mean, I can only think of people like Paul Street and a few others who've been even more harsh and critical of him, and rightfully so, yeah. and correctly so. Um, but what I will say is, you know, in the light of the 2016 U.S. presidential elections, you know, what we're starting to see. And, you know, as some commentators have recently pointed out, is that an entire segment of the U.S. political society, and particularly the Republican Party, is completely off the rails when it comes to foreign policy issues. So they were against Obama's uh, deal with Iran. What was the option? The option, the only alternative to that, as other people have pointed out, uh, was war. Um, So the Republicans want to bomb And possibly occupy Tehran and Iraq that's what the entire Republican Party is interested in the entire Republican Party is interested in bombing and possibly occupying and also advising uh, and having a hand in the transition in Syria I mean all you have to do is watch some of these congressional hearings with Republican senators and a lot of Democratic senators and you will see just how hawkish Uh, the foreign policy establishment is in the United States. Um, Hmm. So what's scary to me is is as much of a hawk as Obama is, and as much as he's relied on drone strikes and proxy wars and special forces operations, particularly in the continent of Africa, uh, sort of the unspoken... Uh, new uh, wing of the U.S. imperial project. Not that we haven't had interest in the past, but now we're conducting on average of three or four missions a day in Africa. What's truly scary, and this of course could be said of uh, Francois Hollande as well in France, uh, what we're talking about is a socialist government. God forbid uh, someone like Marine Le Pen gets in office. Mm. You know, God forbid someone like Donald Trump get into office. And these are very real possibilities. You know, people laughed at Le Pen and the the Front National for years, higher than any other party in France, and in the upcoming elections could very well gain more seats than they've ever gained in the history of the party. People laughed at Donald Trump seven or eight months ago and said, oh, this is a joke. This is a publicity stunt. And seven, eight months later, Donald Trump still is polling higher than any other Republican nominee. So... What I will say is that, yes, as crazy as the world looks uh, under Cameron and Hollande and Merkel mm. and Obama, uh, etc., cetera, uh, the world could look a lot crazier. And I think how we keep those things in balance, how we put the brakes on the, the excesses of the system, um, this is the major question. So how does this tie into the film? Yes, you're correct. Largest h- protests in the history of the world. Um, millions of people, uh, the largest protest ever, uh, you know, around the world, February 15th, almost a month before the invasion in 2003. Some people would argue, uh, and I agree with folks like Noam Chomsky, Mm -hmm. that without that kind of 2002, 2003, 2004, the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan probably would have been that much more brutal. So immediately, what's the impact? immediately the impact is we've probably saved hundreds of thousands of lives. Now, we'll never know, but what should be mentioned is that it took several years of the war in Vietnam uh, to to already happen for the anti-war movement to come along. So, in other words, the war in Vietnam was happening for several years prior to major, major demonstrations against the war. Hmm. This was the first time in the history of the world where a war was protested with such vigor prior to the war even taking place. So, yes, has it been chaotic and catastrophic and horrific in Iraq? Undoubtedly so. 250,000 to possibly 1.3 million Iraqis dead, depending on which survey or which study you want to cite. Um, Millions displaced, the economy destroyed, but still not on par and not as insanely brutal what we did to the people during the Vietnam War, where people have to realize that the United States dropped more tonnage in bombs than we dropped in the entire second world war. Uh, We absolutely devastated the people of Vietnam killing now what historians assume is upwards of 4 million Vietnamese um, displacing many, many millions more and toxifying the countryside uh, and the water supply and the ecosystem with Agent Orange and various other chemicals that we were dropping illegally from bombers. So that was avoided. Uh, Yes, places like Fallujah were toxified, uh, depleted uranium, and the levels of radiation are even 10 times higher than they are in Fukushima. There, There are examples of this in Iraq, and the society has been destroyed. But I do think that without people in the street, People, uh, you know, the powers that be, particularly folks like Dick Cheney and Donald Rumsfeld, probably would have used the opportunity in Iraq uh, to deploy any number of weapon systems. techniques and torture techniques and thank god for the people who are out there protesting but it wasn't enough nobody nobody is uh satisfied with that i'm not satisfied with that my iraqi friends are not satisfied with that nor are my afghan friends so the question for us becomes how do we actually build an anti-war anti-militarist anti-imperialist whatever movement you want to call it peace and justice movement doesn't matter to me what you call it what matters to me is how it is structured. So,
0: well, Vince, if you don't mind story. me just interrupting you there for a second, one question I'd like to, to get to you before, and you may come to this, so apologies if I've it just interrupted your train of thought you're going to express it anyway. But I guess, um, you know, we've seen uh, – I, I just got a question regarding tactics. Um, you know, the march around the block, uh, and, you know, obviously – You know, the protests on the size of of the scale that before the Iraq war, um, you know, know, Dwarf, uh, lots of other marches around the block that you see around the place uh, and obviously have a much larger impact when you get that amount of people on the streets. But I wonder about just looking at, uh, you know, other tactics, uh, you know. Uh, situations like Occupy, I guess, in the environmental movement, where people are using direct action. You know, do you see uh, these kind of strategies uh, having uh, a better effect than uh, marching around the block uh, as the usual protests go?
1: Yes, absolutely. And so, part of what I was going to say is, and, and I, I'm, I'm glad that you that you gave me that line of questioning because we'll get we'll get straight down to. The brass tax. i mean although i do think it's complex so part of what you said was ta- you know tactical so yes i mean do we need different tactics absolutely uh we're looking at the movie and, and listening to anti-war protesters from 2002 2003 you really get the sense of how naive a lot of the protesters were. yeah uh, I, continue-
0: I was one of those naive protesters i'll you say
1: can, you know you continually hear people saying my God, if we just show up one more day like this, you know, they're going to see the, 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 the wrongs in their ways and, and they're going to, you know, somehow we're going to morally change their minds mm-hmm. and all of this other stuff. I mean, for me, it boils down to power. Do you have political power and do you have a vision or an alternative? You know, mm-hmm. part of what was the problem, I'll speak particularly for the U.S. context. We had people who were opposed to the Iraq War for any number of reasons. We had people, we had liberals who were opposed to the war primarily because it was a Republican war. Mm. We had uh, legal types and constitutional types, people who were specifically interested in international law in the U.S. Constitution who were very opposed to the war because it was illegal. Uh, we had people who were opposed to the war but yet supported the war in Afghanistan. Part of the problem we've had, is we do not have a cohesive vision. Now, to their credit, the U.S. libertarians, actually, the the sort of right-wing libertarian groups, people who follow Ron Paul and mm. uh, you know so on, actually have had a more coherent and substantial critique of U.S. empire than the left has had, at least in my time being active. They have been very clear from the beginning mm. that we must oppose... Any and all U.S. military interventions abroad because number one, either A, they are used as a front for neo colonial interests, or two, even if the powers that be in the U.S. are genuinely concerned with, say, humanitarian intervention or stopping the brutalities of a uh, specially selected dictator that we used to support but now oppose. Um, Even if that's the case, it always turns out to be a disaster, whereas my progressive friends in the United States, and I saw this under Obama, Mm. supported NATO's intervention in Libya. Why? Are these hawkish people? Mm. No. Uh, Are these people who are beating the war drums uh, now in Syria and in Iran or with regard to Iran? No. But these people were bamboozled or fooled into believing that somehow rockets and bombs from NATO are going to stop atrocities. What we never failed to do, in my opinion, as an anti-war movement, was to have a coherent critique of U.S. empire, what it does, how the West operates, what NATO has been used for. Um, So that way, each time one of these crises come up, you know, we're left looking at it, Without trying to connect it to previous engagements and previous foreign policy decisions that the West has made. So the events come up in Libya and people say, oh, my God, you know, look at all these people being slaughtered. We we have to do something. You know, it's this urge to always want to do something that has always been the problem. And so part of the issue we've had with the movement is not just a matter of tactics. In other words, yes, people should be engaging in civil disobedience. Yes, people should be engaging in direct actions. But what is the broader strategy, uh, and what is it that we're trying to achieve? You know, so we're almost working backwards. Mm. You know, like we're trying to come up with tactics and uh, uh, to oppose different wars or foreign policy decisions without – first coming up with what that alternative vision is, what are the values on which our movement is based, what's the alternative vision we're fighting for, then what would be the strategy that we're looking, what would then be the strategy and tactics to achieve those stated objectives. I still, I mean, if you went to an anti-war event in the United States or even in Europe or in Australia, you're going to get sort of a hundred different perspectives depending on who you speak as to what it is we're trying to achieve. You know, are we simply trying to stop illegal wars or do we want to dismantle the military-industrial complex? Do we want to dismantle the corporations uh, who make trillions, billions and billions and billions off of $6 trillion wars? You know, do we want to dismantle ASIO? Uh, if so in the context of Australia, what are the major questions? What kind of relationship do Australians want to have with the United States? That military alignment. Uh, that cooperation militarily between our two countries, um, do Australians want to significantly challenge that relationship? That to me is a much bigger question than do Australians want to be in Syria? Yep. First, yes, you know of course we should address what 's happening immediately. If we can have an impact on what 's happening immediately, then yes, let 's engage in more radical tactics. But what is the broader strategy, and who are we going to have to bring into the mix? It's yeah. going to have to be the, the crowd that's standing up for refugees. Yeah. It's going to have to be the environmental movement, the environmental movement understanding that militarism is one of the greatest causes of climate change and ecological devastation. It's going to have to be the labor movement, yeah. you know, who, can, who really has a lot of power when it comes to the military-industrial complex, you, you know they can shut down the means of production. They might not own the means of production, as our old communist and socialist friends would say, but they have the power to shut down those apparatuses. They have the power to stop the electricity. They have the power to shut off the water. They have the power to not build ships. They have the power to not deliver groceries. These are the things that I think we need to be thinking about tactically. But more importantly, at least to me, is what is the vision we're looking for? Is it simply to stop wars, or or is it to drastically change society and radically transform the systems of government and the powerful institutions that control much of our lives?
0: Vince, uh, that was fabulous, uh, tremendously coherent, and uh, I'm sure many of our listeners will have, uh, just in the course of uh, your words there, have had the military-industrial complex uh, (laughs) complex. Uh, sorted somewhat in their heads, I hope. So, thank you so much very much for that. And um, uh, we won't get the the full uh, full interview on air, but uh, we'll have the definitely have the full interview on on our website. So, good on you, and thanks very much. Uh, maybe we'll get you over here to Perth one day.
1: Oh, I would love to uh, come out there.